three, two, one. Hello and welcome to What Scream, the horror movie podcast where I, your host, Graham, chats with a special guest every week about horror movies. And in particular, we chat about two films that have to do with a certain subject or topic that I've previously randomly chosen from um, literally a cup with folded up bits of paper in it. So um, the topics can either be super broad, like this week's topic, or they can be super niche. Um, So this week's subject is 1970s horror, which is super big. Um, You could literally pick anything, which is great. It's great to have one of these kind of broad topics. Um, And my guest this week, week is the host of the podcast Brother Ghoulish's Tomb, uh, Brother Ghoulish aka Ryan and together we will be chatting about 1972's Blackula uh, directed by William Crane as well as 1979's The Amateurville Horror um, which was kind of almost the beginning of haunted house Films as we know them today. Um, the 1970s was a great time for horror. Um, it was a time in which horror was um, migrating from spooky, dark castles and English countrysides to the home, um, to where people should be feeling their safest and they're not it was being brought into the home it was being brought into the familial unit so we saw things like rosemary's baby and the exorcist um and then obviously uh the 70s was where the slashes were kind of born as well um so it was bringing this horror into suburban neighborhoods basically um so yeah the 1970s was all about home horror um so Yes, here is my chat with Ryan about 1970s horror. I would like to welcome to the podcast um, a very special guest I'm super excited to have on. It is Ryan, aka Brother Ghoulish. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for coming on. So would you like to give a little bit of an introduction to people that may not know you? Sure. So I actually have a podcast that I started a year and a half ago called Brother Ghoulish's Tomb where I um, analyze horror, share horror short stories from time to time. And ever since I've started, I've also done like a limited series for the Boulay Brothers Dragula, where me and my fiance break down the episodes. And I consider myself just like an undead horror fan. You know, anytime Mm -hmm. I can talk about the genre, I love to do just that. So, And how did you get into horror? And do you remember what the first horror film was you ever saw? I feel like the more that I do Brother Ghoulish, the more I remember how much um, horror I saw that I wasn't really thinking about because mm. my parents did love horror as much as I did. So it, I, I typically say it's Scream because that's the one that I remember the most, the one that yeah. I would like gravitate towards the most. But before that, like my father's always been hooked on like, you know, Blackula, Sugar Hill, like movies mm-hmm. like that. So I, it's just, it's ingrained in me at this point. Yeah, and have you seen the new Scream film yet? I have. Have you uh, seen it? No, I'm going uh, on Tuesday. So I'm like, I've had to like silence all of Twitter when it comes to like anybody talking about Scream. But is it, in your opinion, is it good without giving away spoilers? Yeah, I, I think it's great. Yeah, I think okay. you'll love it. 
Okay, good. I'm super excited. Um, so why did you decide to start the podcast? Because I know quite a few people started it kind of around lockdown. Was it anything to do with that? That was a huge contributing factor. The mm. funny thing is, before I actually bit the bullet, I had met a good friend of mine and he told me, like a few of my other friends, they thought I would be great with podcasting. But mm. at the time, I just never really knew how to do it. I was a little intimidated. And when yeah. everything was locked down, it was this chance for me to really do it. And I've always loved horror. I've always mm. loved writing and reading and watching the genre. So I had more time to do it just being at home. And I'm so happy that I did because I thought I was just going to throw a few episodes out mm. and maybe I wouldn't find community because in my life, not a lot of people around me love horror. It, it's mm. the one thing that kind of sets me apart. But I found all you guys, like people who love horror as much as I do. And it's a, mm. it's actually like a community, like a family. Yeah. And I'm so happy I did it because now it's transcended just doing a podcast. It's like yeah. a whole thing. I know. I'd be in the same boat as you. Like I started it to try and combat like depression and loneliness because, you know, it was just me and my three-year-old at home. And I was just like, I need to talk to anybody other than a toddler. So that's why I kind of started it. And like you, it's just spawned into like being part of a community and finding friends that like, you know, I'm always a bit wary about online communities because I mean, I'm sure there are pockets of it, but they're always quite, you know, um, it can turn nasty very quickly. But so far, the people that I found in the horror community are just like top people. I have to agree. Like, I think I feel lucky, you know, it, mm. I, I think we remind me of when I was a kid, like, watching the Adams family because you know mm. how sometimes like they look from the outside like really like scary and maybe horror fans appear this way but they're a family that are really nice and they yeah. actually look out for each other and stuff it's just an outward appearance thing yeah. like nine times out of ten the people who are considered normies in Adams family world they're the weirdos just trying to get their treasure <laughs> and, and like do weird stuff to them <laughs> exactly yeah um so let's chat about our theme for this week which is 1970s horror so how did you feel when I approached you with this subject ecstatic uh mm -hmm. I love the 70s I so my parents actually they're like high school sweethearts and Aww. pictures of them like dating in their prime yeah. was like the 70s like the wow. so the afros the bell-bottom pants the the afro oh puffs. My God. and i always thought that style was really cool yeah. and growing up as a result a lot of the cinema that i saw was from that time period as well yeah that sounds amazing i I, I really enjoy the 70s, perhaps more than like the 80s. I know a lot of people love the 80s because of like the slasher genre. I enjoy the 70s decade more um, because I think it was such like a big mix of horror at the time. I mean, obviously it was, it started bringing horror into everyday houses and everyday families rather than before where it was all like gothic and mansions yep. and foggy moors um but what do you understand as you know what was happening in 1970s at the time which gave this new release of horror so i think in the 70s um there were a lot of so it was like an era that was perceived to be like you know free love mm -hmm. and about music and just expression and mm -hmm. you know bright colors and when you think about how it led into the 80s which was like a a, a dark period for mm -hmm. some people because the free love became a catalyst for you know the aids epidemic and mm -hmm. 
There was also, you know, drug use and how we were able to see some of its effect, not even a decade later. But when you look at the 70s as like this, this encapsulated period, it was just like, it was such a celebration of love and music and time. And Mm -hmm. that's how I've always perceived it. Yeah, I mean, we definitely had, I mean, obviously, I'm just talking about America here. But, you know, there was, there was a lot of things that horror could play on what with, you know, the Vietnam War, and um, this kind of perceived thing that the baddies may just be your next door neighbor, you know, Um, so we had stuff like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween, the Hills of Eyes, you know, it was all about homegrown horror. Um, So let's start with your pick. Um, Would you like to introduce it and give us a brief synopsis, please? Absolutely. It's actually Blackula from 1972, which is rated PG. It has a runtime of an hour and 33 minutes. And it was directed by a black man who was William Crane. And it was also starring one who played Blackula, William Marshall. It's about a prince named Mama Waldy, who is actually going to go meet with Dracula. Um, He's trying to create an opportunity to uh, stop the slave trade. And what ends up happening is Dracula has other plans. He, you know, turns him into a vampire, thereby cursing him. And he renames him Blackula. So it is a black exploitation film, but out of the ones that, have kind of like gone past the years and had like the more modern eye to scrutinize it. Mm -hmm. It actually did some things pretty well. It's just about a black vampire who it it almost feels like a Gothic romance, you know, like he, he he encounters his love again and he's willing to do anything for her. So that's really what black is all about. Yeah. It definitely follows the Dracula uh, theme of, you know, he finds his love again in modern um, time and he wants her to, become a vampire and come with her uh come with him to to live for eternity um so yeah it was a black exploitation horror film um what was black exploitation for anyone that doesn't know it was when a lot of films were basically perpetuating really bad black stereotypes and they thought it was to attract like the black audience mm-hmm. and nine times out of ten these films were written and produced by people who were not black who were mm-hmm. white and so a lot of it is just just really bad and a lot of it i think has very little merit or doesn't really bring anything to the table but the blackula film i felt like it had like a couple of gems and of course there Mm -hmm. was some stuff it still did wrong and as we get into our discussion i think we can like talk about a little bit of it but you you know that's what black exploitation was it was just black exploitation as like the Mm -hmm. word like puts together was exploiting like black culture for monetization without like having as much love and care for the culture that it actually came from. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I really liked that I was reading about, um, William Marshall, who plays Mama Waldy, he actually worked with the producers to make sure that his character, like, was portrayed with dignity. So, you know, he he made sure there was a background story. Um, and he also changed the name from Andrew Brown to Mama Waldy. So that was like, like you said, black exploitation was traditionally not made by black people yeah. whereas this is like even though it is called like a black exploitation horror film because it came out at that time and it still has certain elements but it just feels a bit more authentic do yeah. you do you kind of feel the same way about it yeah i 100 agree it, it transcends it and i think a big piece of it is like what you talked about like how william marshall contributed and then also having the director as another you know man of color be involved in this process it, mm-hmm. it really helped a lot 
Yeah. And of course, it was um, the first time a black vampire appeared on film. So yeah. it was quite um, monumental at its time. It was also one of the top grossing films of 1972, which is pretty amazing. Um, so what else did you like about it? Um, like what were the top points about Blackula? I like that there was, well, first of all, you see Mama Waldy and Luva basically holding court, mm. you know, and, and discussing like world issues and not just relegated to a lot of the other like stereotypical roles at that time mm-hmm. that black people were kind of shoved into. So I like that. I like that there was like a gay couple in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that, cause you know, I don't represent all of the gay community or anything like that. But from my perspective, I thought it was pretty cool to see like a gay couple be in mm-hmm. a horror film and actually later, you know, one of them, Bobby McCoy actually becomes like a vampire. So you see a gay black vampire yeah. in this film. And I actually thought in addition to those points, the way that, I don't know. There's something about watching Blackula that actually kind of sucks me in because mm-hmm. I think the environment does a great job of portraying Black culture in a way that's not disrespectful to it. Mm-hmm. You see Black joy, you see celebrations, you see people just at the get down listening to great music and wearing yeah. amazing clothing. And there's a lot of like love shared between people. Even when you think about like how Bobby as a gay Black man, um, after he is thought to be dead, He's not just discarded of, that's the catalyst for bringing the main characters mm-hmm. in, you know, because they were his friends and they loved and they actually cared about him. Yeah. He wasn't just forgotten immediately. So I yeah. like that a lot. I mean, one of the main black exploitation things was a lot of the time it portrayed, you know, like drug dealers or pimps. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was all about kind of making it super shady and like just just bad stereotypes like you said before whereas this like you said there was joy in it and you know friends loved each other didn't matter their sexuality and it was just it was a lot of joy and you could tell that I I really love the soundtrack to it like you tell that the soundtrack is just part of that joy as well um and obviously um with black exploitation and with blackula it was like the first horror film to have a funk and soul soundtrack which is just like and i know it doesn't quite marry well you'd think oh horror and soul and funk but it it just does and it just it just brings that joyful element to it as well what did you think of the soundtrack i agree like it even it's aged so well too because like rewatching it uh for this I was really, and I was watching it with my fiance. Like, we were just, Mm. like, jamming. Like, it has a really (laughs) nice vibe to it. Yeah. And even seeing everyone perform, you know, at the the get down and stuff, it's like, whoa, man. Like, oh, the environment is everything. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, So let's talk about perhaps the negative points about it. Um, One of the things I picked up on was obviously its use of derogatory language um, towards homosexuality. We could say that's a product of its time because, you know, they weren't as non-ignorant as you know later audiences are that was one of the main things i picked up what about you what were the negative points for you definitely that they could have got rid of all those Mm f-bombs and it would have made for a stronger film Mm -hmm. um i also didn't like and i think that the filmmakers were cognizant of this at least so it 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 helped there was a a scene where sam was talking about the cab driver and I mm-hmm. felt like his his views were like very like misogynist and yeah. like the way that he was talking about her, I didn't like. So 
to have later her like attack him and like i was like, okay <laughs> i like this i like that we need more of that yeah um so those are two of the negative points for me and i'm trying to remember there's probably i think there might have been a third one but it might come out naturally as we're talking yeah um so what do you think is kind of like the legacy and influence that black killer holds I think we've we've touched on a few of them for sure by saying like you see a black vampire for the first mm-hmm. time. You see a black gay vampire, you know, for yeah. the first time on film. And you get to also see like black love in a story kind of like being the main storyline, which is mm-hmm. really cool for a gothic romance. And it just left an impression. Even mm-hmm. when you think about um, some of the horror documentaries that are coming out recently, horror noir touched on Blackula quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who, when it came out, they were younger, so they can actually remember the impact. They were talking about, wow, like there's a, because, you know, Blackula, I think is a terrible name, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it does a great <laughs> job of like painting a picture in someone's mind because people were saying mm-hmm. like, wait, a Black Dracula, like that's pretty cool. And that got a lot of people into the, you know, the theater. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and of course, we saw, you know, following on from Blackula, there's Katrina from Vamp. Like, mm-hmm. black vampires started to become prominent, and you know, there's just this whole thing where, like, the vampire and the gothic is is white and pale. Yeah. It's like, yeah, Katrina's in the background. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's this whole thing that like vampires are white and gothic and pale, and it's very Tim Burton. You know, Tim Burton's whitewashing, whereas. <clears throat> all over the world in so many different cultures there's vampires and so you know it was black healers needed to be a catalyst to you know to kind of provide the fact that vampires are not just eastern european white men um and i think that's a really strong legacy obviously with like katrina from vamp and um from the queen of the damned as well yeah so it like it's not mentioned a lot in like scholarly scholar I can't even say that word scholarly articles apart from when you are talking about black horror but it needs to be because it put vampirism in another culture as opposed to what we'd seen up until then um one thing I did see on like a discourse on it was that the whole Dracula making Mama Waldi into a vampire was kind of representation of um enslavement um, did you get that vibe as well? 100%. Mm. And there was even a point in the film, like when Blackula, he referred to like the, the curse of vampirism as a, a type of enslavement as well. Mm. It was, that is a, that is a very good point because up until the bite, Blackula, well, Mama Waldy mm. was actually someone of considerable influence and he had his life and this thing derailed all of that. Mm-hmm. And even what came up later was just a shell of what he was before because yeah. Mama Waldy in his right mind would never try to transition someone into that same curse. So mm-hmm. it shows like the curse did something. It definitely like took his soul essentially. And yeah. it just, I think that's a great, that's definitely a great point. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there was one line that Mama Waldy said that I was like, oh, that's kind of good, was when he was first getting to know, you know, the reincarnation of his wife. Um, He was like, I would never take you against your will. You have to go willingly. Mm -hmm. But then, as you said, he kind of devolved a bit where he 
he just wanted to take her like by the end of the film he was like i just want to take her now and it doesn't really matter whether she's got any kind of um whether she's a bit unsure about it or not um and that i i liked that inclusion in it just to show that like you know when he was in his right mind he was very respectful and you know he didn't want to make her do anything she didn't want to do but then when he got desperate that was when it started to you know go down hill yeah I yeah. like that addition too. Good point. Um, so would you recommend Blackula to horror fans? I would. I would say um I would I wouldn't blame anyone if because of the F bomb, you know, they didn't want to check mm. it out. So I think it's a good point that we do put that out there yeah. first, like you like we did. Um it is one of those things that might be able to be chalked up as a sign of the times. And it's obvious that because you know they're currently working on a reboot for uh Yeah, Blackula. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. So that's gonna I be think- interesting. <laughs> I think if they do like um, how Candyman was redone, it could mm. actually be better. You know, it could actually be yeah. like a great story. Not that the new one is better than the new Candyman, because you know the, the old Candyman. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, but um, I, I'm excited to see it for sure. Yeah. And I would suggest it to people if they're okay, you know, getting past that piece. Yeah, um, absolutely. I'd say I'm, I'm always like, oh, learn your history of horror um i hate to be one of those snobs but i do think it's an important part of horror history and it's also like a time capsule for what horror what fashion what music was at the time in that scene and i think it's this great little like capsule of just being able to see into a scene or a culture at the time and i love it um it would be interesting to do with the a remake um i feel like yourself like if they brought it into like modern times with what is happening globally at the moment it will be really interesting like I hope they don't do just like a a scene for scene of it I think that would be very bad um but yeah it'd be super interesting to watch such a missed opportunity if they did scene by scene yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. even like it's something as small as Dracula giving him the name Blackula for example Mm. there is so much that can be touched on there with exactly. him even kind of grappling with, because like naming is like, you even think about, and this is going to go dark for a second, but just I, I'll yep, dip no, in no, and I'll come back yep. out. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> in Roots, when you think about it, like you have like a white man trying to literally put someone's, like like change someone's name. Yeah. And when you stri- like strip someone's name away, it's like you're stripping away their culture, you're stripping away everything. But if you have like that type of like modern day perspective of the Blackula mm-hmm. naming, it would be interesting to see how they kind of play with that. But I don't want to see any slave scenes. Let me be clear. If the filmmakers yeah. ever hear this, <laughs> no more <laughs> no more slave scenes in horror, please. Like, yeah. I want to see us, like, represent it in other ways. And yeah. that's what was pretty fun about this film, that we got that even in the 70s. So there's no mm. excuse in the 2000s. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, hopefully the filmmakers are. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so let's move on to my choice then. Um, so I choose the Amateurville Horror, which is a 1979 supernatural horror directed by Stuart Rosenberg, starring James Berlin and Margot Kidder. Um, it's based on a book by Jay Anson of the same name, and it kind of covers the alleged experiences of the Lutz family in a home in Amateurville where the DeFeo mass murderers had happened. So it's all based on a true story. But, you know, you hear a lot of that in horror. This one actually kind of is. Um, So it follows um, a couple as they move in with their young family. And 
um, the house starts doing very strange things. There's flies appearing. They they hear voices. When a priest or a nun comes into the house, they start to feel sick, and it also haunts them outside of the house. Um, uh, George Lutz, the husband, he starts becoming a little bit um, frantic, and it's almost as if the house is possessing him. Um, so what do you think of Amityville Horror? I think it's a classic. Um, I've always loved that film and it's very frightening still, even by today's standards because of that piece. And that was a big marketing strategy, I think, Mm. for horror for a long time, you know, based on a true story, but it's effective. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I think I read this book when I was, this is really bad, when I was like 11, I think I read the book about the Amateurville murders and I couldn't sleep for weeks. Like, it petrified me. And so, like... I think I I saw the film um, when I was quite young and it it really affected me. But I think I might have seen like the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror beforehand. You know, they do a take on it. So I was I was quite like, oh, this is what happens in the Simpsons. Um, (laughs) So it really was the original haunted house movie that created the typical tropes. Um, Do you think that that legacy and influence is still massive today? Absolutely. It's one of those it's one of those horror films you can't get around as a mm. um as a filmmaker. You know, it's you have to at least acknowledge its presence, whether you're gonna draw influence from it or you're going to try to like deviate. It yeah. it's just ingrained and especially with the conjuring universe coming out and how mm. you know closely related it is to it, I think that's helped it kind of remain relevant in everyone else's minds. Because sometimes uh, classic horror movies um some people who aren't as in love with the genre as we are they may not know about them for obvious reasons yeah that's not the case with anything touching amityville yeah um i completely agree like it's without amityville horror we wouldn't have stuff like the conjuring or you know american haunting or any haunted house films um it really kind of as I said, it sets the stereotypes and the tropes. Um, the The one scene that always gets me is the flies. Like, flies just really get to me. Really, they make me feel sick. I think it's just because of, like, maggots and just bleh. Um, What scene for you was, like, the one that got you? You know, it was that scene, too. It yeah. was. And I think it's just because, like, like you said, with, like, maggots and flies, it's it's something really, like, unsettling for me. Mm. And it doesn't take much, like, when it comes to bugs. And I'm not yeah. even – it's weird because, like, in my real life, I'm not that afraid of bugs. Like, even mm. when the cicadas come, I can pick them up and stuff. But it's that they're associated with, like, a demonic entity that yeah. – that really does it for me. And the Amityville being like a living house is, mm. oh my God, so frightening. Yeah, I mean, it really is a character all on its own. Even like, you know, the little Dutch windows it has, they look like eyes. And, you know, there's so many scenes where it's like everything is dark, but there's just these like windows glowing like eyes. I mean, there's even glowing eyes in the house. You know, they look out the window. I mean, it is ridiculous. Obviously, they did not have the the technology back then, so they did have, like, these red glowing eyes. And then there's a scene where there's, like, a giant pig in the window. It's just so random. Um, But, yeah, it's just the house feels alive, even with, like, the bleeding walls. It's just all very kind of humanising 
the house. Um, one thing that I did want to touch on that is it, it it's built a trope on, but not necessarily in a good way, is this Native American burial ground um, kind of thing. We saw it in that. We saw it in Poltergeist, in The Shining. Like, it's all very um, ridiculous. Um, ridiculous. How do you feel about that trope? Like you said, I do think it is ridiculous. And it comes from, there's a word, because I was reading a book that kind of touched on this. I can't remember Mm -hmm. which book it was. I wish I could, so I can quote it for you. But it's kind of preposterous, right? That like Native Americans, they were here first. Like this was their culture. This was their land. Mm -hmm. And people coming in and actually like taking that land and like building over top of it and stuff. It's like the people who originally owned it are now a, a inconvenience or like when in reality this wouldn't have happened if no one came over and colonized you know the area so it's it's a weird it's a weird way of looking at things and i don't know it it really is ridiculous and the simpsons did a good job of showing how ridiculous it was when you Mm -hmm. think about it like i'm happy you brought up the treehouse of horror because (laughs) i think that was like you know entry horror for a lot of us who are fans of the genre exactly yeah um yeah i just I always feel like, because uh, it's always like a, it, it is always like a white family in the haunted yeah. house. And it just feels like another kind of thing to be like, oh, look at these evil, horrible natives. And, you know, yeah. they're, they're a curse on us white people. And it's just, it's just a really, t- like, I'm glad it's not a trope anymore. You know, I'm glad it has kind of subsided. Um, but it's still really, like, every time it's brought up, even even in, like, 1970s films, it's still, like, a major cringe factor. You're just like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, another thing, um, it doesn't really have a conclusion, does it? It's just, like, just ends. They just get in the car and run away and that's it. Um, how did you feel about the ending? I think, like, that's... When you think about it, that's how like real evil is though. It, it can't really yeah. be stopped. So I'm like, good for you, you know, like because <laughs> I think a lot of movies would be shorter. Uh, sorry, horror movies would be shorter if people just got the <laughs> hell out like instantly. <laughs> yeah, they they should have done it like 18 days earlier. But <laughs> yeah, it, it even reminds me. I think it was the second Conjuring when um the family actually did leave. Like they they yeah. ran across the street to the neighbors. Um, yeah. So you think about stuff like that. It's just funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I felt like it just ended quite suddenly. And I was like, oh, okay. But I'm one of these people that always needs, like, a proper ending. Um, I just hate things being left. And I'm just like, oh, okay, that's the end. It's like they run out of money. It was just, like, quick, just pop oh. a title card. Like, um, Another thing about this film that I found quite funny was the production, the studios were trying to start rumors about a cursed set because obviously they heard a lot you know there was this whole thing about the omen and the exorcist having a cursed set um and they were trying to get the actors to like pretend in media interviews that the the set was cursed and apparently james brolin and margot kidder were just like no no we're not doing that You know what's funny? You know what it comes from? It was like old school of thought, like, oh, no press, no press is, no, what is it? No press is bad press. You know, yeah. like they were just trying to get, you know, enough people talking about it so that it'll fill the seats. Good for them for having like a <laughs> a, a, a sense of morality and saying we're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So do you think uh, the Amterville horror stands up? Yes. Yeah. Even with its like um problematic piece, I, it, it does. It, it's such a it's such a great horror film mm-hmm. that just 
you know, the same with Blackula, like the environment really just pulls you in. And yeah. it's like a great like nod. And I think it has influenced. I mean, I don't think it has influenced a lot of the horror that we love to this day. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, quite a fan of Margot Kidder because obviously she was in Black Christmas as well. Um, and I think she's really great in this, as well as James Brolin. Like he just plays yeah. the maniacal husband like perfectly. And I always find it interesting how it a lot of the time in like hauntings and supernaturals, a lot of it focuses on the female. Mm-hmm. of the family and you know it's the man being like oh nothing's happening here like kind of gaslighting her whereas in Amterville it focuses on the husband um and I find that a really interesting kind of gender swap on that and I think James Ronan does a really good job of it the only thing I will say about Margot Kidder's character is they made her look really infantile did you notice that like she had her hair up in bunches or like in bows and she was You're wearing right. like a, a catholic schoolgirls uniform at one point it was just really weird. I'd love to know what their head was at when they did that. I'm pretty sure I know where it was at, but um, that's a darker thing. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's just it, it feels like I don't I don't I don't know. That's that's conjecture. I don't know, but yeah, I, I yeah. can guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so would you recommend Amateurville Horror to horror fans? Yes, I feel like I'm born for saying yes, but it's it's true. Like. <laughs> I just remember being young and watching it the first couple Mm. times, and it's just, it's a great film. Yeah, it's such, like, a pivotal point in horror as well. Um, As we said, just for, like, haunted house horrors, you know, it's just really, like, if you want to know where The Conjuring came from, where every supernatural haunted house has come from, then you need to watch, like, The Amateurville Horror. Um, So out of the two films... Which one would you recommend over the other for someone that wanted a definitive 1970s horror? Oh, that's hard. Um, I would probably say Amityville, to okay. be honest. Yeah, I'd lean, I'd lean closer to Amityville. And why is that? Because it just feels like, in terms of impact, it's mm-hmm. it's done that piece, and the sequels have kept it kind of you know relevant, like people talking about mm-hmm. it. Um. But Blackula is actually being like re envisioned really soon. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot with that original that I think needs to be kind of reworked so yeah. that it will actually be more appropriate because some of the stuff that, you know, was done in that film is just kind of and the same thing can go for the Amityville, but it's had its yeah. chance. Like it's been rebooted. I don't know. Now I'm changing my answer. Blackula. <laughs> because because you know, it's so funny. I'm like, I talk myself out of it. That's funny. Because <laughs> like I feel like everyone knows about Amityville, but maybe not a lot of people have seen Blackula. Yeah. So I actually changed my answer. I'm sorry, Blackula. <laughs> yeah. I think I'd go with Blackula as well, just because, like, as you said, everyone knows Amityville. And I just think that Blackula shows another side of horror um, and uh, something that perhaps people haven't seen before. So I'd go with Blackula. Um, so before we go, I usually ask my guests what your favorite horror film is. I'm going to be basic for this, but Scream. I can't. I can't get over it. Like I, I love Scream. It's my fave. Um, to be a little bit like so. It's Scream, Get Out, Silence of the Lambs, uh, Black Swan, and American Psycho. Those are the top okay. five for me. Right. See, I I had never gotten into Scream before, like the past two years, because I'd seen Scary Movie first, and Ooh. then <laughs> and then I watched Scream, and I was like, eh. but. Um, for one of the 
podcast episodes, I watched the whole Scream franchise. And I actually really enjoyed I thought it was just going to be like really, I mean, because it is so meta, I thought it would be borderline spoof. And it kind of is, but it still has that, like the bits of horror in it, which make it really, really good. And I think the characters are so well-rounded that it's believable at the same time. Yeah, that's how I feel about Scream. It's it's aged well because of that, but then there's pieces of it that has to be like contextualized. Like, mm. you know, when um, Sydney's just getting attacked and then she hugs Billy because he comes to the window and then the cell phone drops and that automatically makes him suspicious. <laughs> cell phones were suspicious back then. And I'm sure if you don't <laughs> like explain that to someone who didn't yeah. like know, it'd be like, okay, I don't get it. Everyone has a cell phone, but no, that yeah. was not the case. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so thank you so much for coming on and chatting 1970s horror with me. That was my chat there with Ryan about horror from the 1970s. And in particular, we chat about two films. Uh, we talked about Black Killer from 1972, as well as Amityville Horror House. Or I, I keep calling it the Amityville Horror House. It's not. It's the Amityville Horror from 1979. Um what did you think of our choices for 1970s? Or I'm sure everyone has an opinion and I'm sure everyone thinks they could have like thought of a better film and that's fine. Um, there will probably be another 1970 episode um, because of its broad range of potential films. Um, so how's everyone doing? Um, I, I wonder if you've watched the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, at time of recording. I have not. Um, I'm kind of deciding whether I am going to do a watch of the whole back catalogue of Texas Chainsaws. Um, I've obviously seen the first one millions of times. It is my go-to film when I come in from a night out and I just want to stick a film on and chill out which is kind of a strange thing to say because Texas Chainsaw Massacre is not a film to chill out with, but however, that's just me. Um, so yeah, I don't know whether I'm going to do that or whether I'm just going to go fuck it and just watch it off Netflix. I probably will just be like, fuck it. Um, but yes, we are being treated so far from 2022 for uh, revivals of classic horror films. Um yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. I think we've got The Exorcist this year as well, which, of course, as everyone knows, it's really close to my heart So as my favourite horror film. So that's going to be soups interesting. Um, yeah, I hope everyone had a good Valentine's Day as well. I hope you enjoyed it, whatever you ended up doing, whether it was with a significant other, whether it was with your animals or your friends or your family or just by your lonesome. That's okay. Um, I hope you got in some good horror films as well. Um, so yes, as always, you can find us on um, at What A Scream Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And you can also find me on Twitter at What Underscore Scream, where you can kind of keep up with more of my uh, film critic writing as well. Um, and don't forget that whatever podcast platform you're listening to me on, um, please uh rate and review i read some really lovely reviews this week that i didn't even know were up yes so thank you so much to people <clears throat> that was disgusting my voice just went all weird i'm really sorry thank you so much to people who have reviewed and rated so far i really really appreciate it um uh and as i always end the show with i hope you are staying horrific goodbye
Shouldn't be scared of Frankenstein's monster You should be scared of it